the road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hello. Welcome to this week's episode. What up? Of Relevant Recovery Radio. What up, what up, what up? We're your hosts, Heather and Donnie Mosier. I'm looking over our show notes. <laughs> so glad. What are we going to talk about today? Where are we? Hey, are we still in please Houston? Please let me just say the stuff I have to say first. Jeez. Uh, uh, this show is sponsored by the Matthews Hope Foundation. Uh, we have a two-week detox followed with two years of free recovery coaching, aftercare, and IASIS microcurrent neurofeedback as part of our care model. If you or a loved one um, has any issues with substance use or sobriety issues and you would like to maybe call and see if our program is a good fit for you, please give us a call at 844-263-4673 or you can go to either one of our websites. There's a detox website and an outpatient website. Yeah. The detox website is mhdrp.org, herbert.org, or go to matthewshope.org, matthewshope.org. Um, and also, if you're interested in coming to our outpatient clinic um, for IASIS, or recovery coaching. You don't even have to be a detox client. We have options for that too. So you can give our outpatient manager, Candace, a call at 346-980-3530. And we really are pleased if all of your plans fell through today, you have no book or television, and you decided to listen to our show. We do thank you for that. As usual, you're listening to us in the H in Houston, 1 p.m. Central on Sundays. On KPRC AM 950. Or you can go to the iHeartRadio app. It's a free download on your phone. And there are two channels you should look for. One is the KPRC 950 channel. You can listen to us 1 p.m. Central no matter where you are. Or they upload our or radio show at the end of the day to our very own podcast channel, Relevant Recovery Radio. That's all the stuff we saw. Bye. And don't (laughs) forget to check out... uh, Heather, have you been watching our... Facebook or Insta? No, I don't get on social media at all anymore. That's a lie. I believe hell just came <laughs> through the floor. No, I'm on there. Uh, and we're getting good following, some comments, some interaction. It's going well. Okay. All I'm right. not going to blast anybody if that's what you're looking for. And where do people go to find us on those two social media? Uh, you can go to at Relevant Recovery Radio on Facebook or Instagram. We're yeah. right there. Or at least I'm there. Or, or is it the same on Instagram? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and so uh, we got an argument today. It's about <laughs> a five minute argument on what we were going to talk about. I'm still mad. Well, you should be. <laughs> if I had to live with you and myself, I would. T- t- if I had to I myself no live with myself. I have no idea what you're saying right now. <clears throat> we have this thing where we want to come up with new topics for everybody. And there's so many things that you can talk about. If you leave it 100% 12-step based, the thing is, is that we know that that our listenership is not all All 12-step based. Right. And we want to do a show that is a little bit of everybody. Mm -hmm. So today, what we decided to do is just come in here and fight on air. (laughs) That's what we're going to do. And I will win. You're stupid. (laughs) No. um, So the topic for today's show is married to an alcoholic. 
married to an alcoholic. Um, and I hope that we kind of talk about this from a few different angles. On one hand, uh, you may be listening and maybe you're married to someone you suspect might be an alcoholic. Um, maybe you're married to someone who you definitely know is an alcoholic, but do they even want to get sober? Mm. Um, and then maybe there's another scenario where you're the normie and you're married to an alcoholic who is in recovery uh, of some various type. Or maybe you're both, like me and you, honey. Maybe you're both <laughs> sober alcoholics married to each other. Which is really the worst combination Perfect of all storm. of it. Perfect storm. Perfect yeah. storm. It's literally like take two insane people. That are extremely self-centered to their core. And Type alpha. A personalities. <laughs> and marry them. And throw them in the same Make house. live together and talk every day. God was like literally like shook us up, threw in the house, and it was like, hey, let's just see how this plays <laughs> Good out. Good luck. God's one like, the, God's like, hold my beer. <laughs> one of the angels was like, I got my money on murder-suicide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so but I, I just think that relationships in general... Uh, there's a lot, this is a broad topic from a lot of different angles where people might, uh, their life might apply. And maybe we share something. If you can get off your phone, honey, we are literally recording a radio show. <laughs> I'm looking at your stupid, obsessive note. <laughs> you asked for them. This is your stupid, obsessive fight. checklist. So let's talk about our marriage for a moment. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. We'll get let's to do it. No, no, let's go. Let's talk about all the ways you're wrong on a daily basis. <laughs> So the first thing, honey, and how we solve it, let's say that someone is married and they think they're a normal person. They're a normie. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's say they're married to someone that they suspect is an alcoholic. Violence. <laughs> no. Oh. Uh, what? I always what? choose that wrong, by the way. I know. Every time. Uh, what advice do you have? What things could they look for um, to know if this person just drinks often or maybe an alcoholic? I mean... I think what step one is uncomfortable conversation. If you are married to someone or in a very serious relationship with someone who you suspect to have a drinking or drug problem, the, the first thing is an uncomfortable conversation and say, hey, what's going on? Yeah. Um, but let me ask you, let's say that was us, right? Let's say that I'm the sober, uh, perfect well-balanced emotional person and you are the unbalanced crazy alcoholic but that's never the how it it's really not is. far off but <clears throat> you're, I, you're assuming that the person who's sober is well-balanced and not screwed up themselves no i just met me <laughs> so the thing i guess what i'm what i want to point out is please point out something most, worth some substance real quick <laughs> most of the time <laughs> I mean, most of the time, they're not going to be honest with you anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're dealing with a real alcoholic. It's possible they aren't even uh, honest with themselves. Like, oftentimes, for the loved one who is debating if their partner is an alcoholic or a drug addict, oftentimes the person who is an alcoholic or a drug addict does not even know that they are, and they don't think it's a problem, and they don't see anything too abnormal about the scenario. They're in... They're in delusion about their condition the longest, the longest out of anybody around them. And I would think that typically, and this is going to sound ridiculous, um, typically that it's a problem and you know it's become a problem. Like it's going to be in your face. You've had enough. You don't want to deal with it or don't know how to deal with it, but you know there's a problem. It doesn't mean that person is necessarily a drug addict or alcoholic, but there right, is right. a So the first thing is to identify a problem. Is hey, there listen, a problem? don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Relevant Recovery Radio.
Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio with your hosts, Heather and Donnie Mosier, Hello. talking today about people who are married to alcoholics. Yes. Maybe. You know what? Mm. Chicken butt. Alcoholic, drug addict, narcissist. We're almost talking about if you're married to somebody and there's a problem. Like, number one, identification. What is the problem? Like, do they just drink too often? Do they yeah. neglect you to go to the bar? Um, are they not spending time with the family because they're out drinking with friends or isolating drinking up in their room or whatever the scenario mm-hmm. is? Like, it's about, first of all, an uncomfortable conversation for the loved one who is maybe not having the problem uh, to say, I'm uncomfortable with the situation or I'm lonely or I feel like your drinking is affecting me in the following ways and just kind of explaining to the person, if you can, where you're coming from with what you think is the problem. Now, nine times out of ten, the person with the substance use disorder is going to get defensive and angry at this conversation. That's okay. You should still have it. Oh, absolutely. And and let let us give you a guideline. I, w- I want to give you the three things that you can help watch for. Number one, if a, t- if a person can take it or leave it alone. So if a person can get a glass of wine or a mixed drink, uh, a regular, well, like whatever, and they can drink half and they don't care. Mm-hmm. Like they can literally drink or no drink. They don't care. Then it's they don't. They're not an alcoholic. Right. Most likely, they're and not so an alcoholic. It, one of the next clues on to look number for, two. If go ahead. Oh, you're going to let me finish yeah, my yeah. sentence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> number two. Number two is that if your spouse doesn't let you finish your sentences, you're probably an alcoholic. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, if when I should just like drop my headphones and walk. No, out listen. The show. If if when they're when your loved one is drinking. Yeah. Do they have control over the amount they d- intend to drink 100% of the time? Like, let's say they've been doing benders lately and y'all are heading somewhere like a, a function with other people. You're like, hey, I'm going to need you to just drink one or two because you've been a little wild lately. And they're Can like, they okay. Do it? And he said, I want to drink one or two. And he just drinks one or two. And we're not talking about every single time. So just because someone says, I'm only going to drink two drinks tonight, and then they successfully do drink two drinks that night, that does not mean they're not an alcoholic. No. Um, there is something it means we, they're boring. <laughs> no, because certain people may be able to control it uh, for as a certain period of time if the pressure's on and if they have to. Yeah, um, means they're probably not enjoying themselves. But look at the progression of it. it. More often than not, when they drink, do they drink more than they said they intended to drink? Right, and that that number one person that can take it or leave it alone. I don't think we're even going to be discussing drinking or, or drugs with that person. Like it oh. just won't matter. But number two could look like an alcoholic and the difference between number two and number three is that number two when given the right set of consequences they can just stop or moderate the wife says that's it i've had enough I'm gonna or leave the husband you. or the husband because right. you know the wife is probably the drunk or the drug addict um or the doctor says hey your liver's showing enzyme levels high you should probably or maybe they get a dwi for the first time and they've never had one and mm-hmm. that's enough for them and they're like done any one of these scenarios is a consequence, and if the consequence is enough to change their drinking the or stop it all together, mm-hmm. then they're probably not a real alcoholic. They just need to maybe, maybe I don't know. Some new coping skills, some new strategies in life. And maybe the, hit some therapy, whatever, yeah. right. But Then there's another type. Number three is Heather's type. <laughs> and your type? Oh, yeah, probably me too. 
Uh, and that is the real alcoholic or the chronic alcoholic, as Heather would have corrected me had I not said that. The chronic alcoholic is someone who drinks or drugs no matter what. Yeah. And so the chronic alcoholic is someone who, despite their decision to stay sober, despite their desire, despite motivation, despite consequences, eventually they put it in their body again and they try the game again and they have insane reasons and justifications for doing it again. And it may look like swapping substances. There may be a drug addict that says, no, I'm sober. I quit eating pills. Yeah, Harry, but you're, you're drinking like a handle of crown a night. Like I would like you to give an example of in your life, the time when you had to get loaded no matter what, mm -hmm. and you had a reason for it. I, I can't get through this that, without it, but then you were you were willing to do this like in front of your dad. Like I want you to tell that story to give people an idea of what it means that you were facing some definite consequences and it didn't yeah, matter. But my, my, I'll just premise it with this. My example is a very extreme example. So just because you don't identify with this extreme example of hopelessness does not mean you're not chronic. <laughs> or, or the fact that you are... <laughs> A holder of seven felonies. Yeah. So, right, wow, felonies. Throw me under the bus, will you? Well, what I mean is felonies weren't even a reason. But yeah. Look, the felonies were just like uh, cost of doing business. Yeah. Uh, I just, just didn't think about it. Uh, overdoses. That was just the cost of doing business. Those weren't sufficient to even try to stop. Didn't your friends used to um, this force you? This is a sad story. Why were we sharing this on here? This didn't your friends used to make you use heroin on a, on a sheet in case you died? There was a blanket or a rug that I had to go sit on to get high in case I died. So they'd roll me up and get rid of me. Because you used to overdose all the time. Yeah. It's just a thing. Um, <laughs> I've never been narcan ever. Like, Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just a garden variety drunk who liked the smell of cocaine. But my wife is a real drug addict. I was, yeah. I mean, and I am, you are but so, I'm sober. But you're yeah. so nonchalant about it, it just cracks me up. Like, yeah, I used to overdose all the time, which means yeah. you died. Yeah, and and like, <laughs> I never even had like the luck of being around friends who like you know narcanned me or called the cops or, anything. or cared. Right. It was like, who gets your car when this happens next time, Heather? You know. And we'd have conversations. I, I just thought that was the cost of doing business. But anyways, the story that you were asking me to share. Yeah was the thing that did matter to me, the thing that I did desperately want to stay sober for was my children. And I didn't know I was going to lose my kids, and then I did, and years mm -hmm. into it. So anyways, the story was my dad had to pick me up to take me to court, and and so like I think it was about six days before the court date, I'm telling myself, I'm not going to shoot dope six days before the court date. And if I'd have put you on a lie detector at that oh, moment. Oh, I meant it, right. You meant it with 100% of your body. And, like I, you and I didn't this. even know anything about like hair follicle tests versus yeah. UAs, you know? And so in my mind, I thought I'd be good to go to court and not lose my kids if I did it six days. It didn't do it for six days before. And so day six comes and I can't not do it. So I get loaded again. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, five days before. Well, then the next day I do it again. And, and I think, okay, well, four days before. Okay, well, then I fail. And then three days before. And so I just can't. And so I know I'm going to go to this court date and lose custody of my kids, but I couldn't not go because that meant I didn't love my kids. So I still had to go. Like, mm -hmm. this is how my crazy rationale uh, was at the time. This is the, the thinking of a drug addict. Yeah. And so my dad picks me up, takes me to the courthouse. We park in the parking lot, the parking garage of the Oklahoma County Courthouse. And I remember asking my dad to get out of the truck so that I could fix up and do a shot of heroin in the back seat of his truck before I went in to lose custody of my kids so that I was okay to deal with the situation I was about to face. But it's so crazy. I think I need this drug to deal with the situation I'm facing, but I'm only facing the situation because of the drugs I'm on. And no matter how much you wanted it, no, much how, no matter, oh, yeah. uh, listen, I know you. 
you are a willful son of a gun. Yeah. You get that from your dad. You, when you get something in your mind, you're very willful, but even the, the, the most powerful will couldn't stop you. Right. And so a, a chronic addiction is just stronger than willpower and desire and motivation and consequences. And so if you're, if you're a normal, normal person and you're looking at your loved one, it's like, why isn't the DWIs enough? Why isn't the cirrhosis enough? Why isn't doesn't he threatening he or she to love me Doesn't enough. he love me enough? Yeah. I'm telling you, I loved my kids more than drugs, but the addiction was stronger than me. And, and the reason we sort of took that little detour for a moment is that, you know, if you're in a 12-step program, you probably know this. Mm-hmm. But if you're not... You have no clue why they can't stop. Right. And and you just can't figure out this this person who just seems off the rails doing this or doing that. So... Most family members think when they're like a, a loved one or whatever overdoses that that, that will be the wake-up call. That that, oh, that that will scare them enough, you know? And it's always so shocking to tell the normal family member that they don't remember it. It doesn't exist for them. Therefore, there's no fear associated with it. It's nothing. We legitimately know people who have left a hospital after an overdose to go get drunk or high. Yeah, you can't like, not. That's the nature of the illness, and it's so baffling, and it is insane, and that's what we call that symptom. When we do the insane thing and return to the drink or the drug, it's pure insanity. All right, so I think when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about one sober, married to a not sober, what that looks like. like what they, does marriage they, look like in well, sobriety? First, do they want Sobe? They no wanty Sobe or yes wanty Sobe? <laughs> do they want right. Sobe? And and we're going to attempt when we come back to set my wife straight, although <laughs> many, many have tried over many years. So uh, whatever you do, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here in a few minutes with Relevant Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio with your hosts, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Heather's all by. What are we doing this for? Can you go? Yeah. yeah. The show is sponsored by the Matthews Hope Foundation. We have a two week detox and two years of aftercare recovery program. If you or a loved one is struggling with any sort of substance use disorder, please give us a call at 844 AND HOPE. That's 844 263 4673. Or you can call our outpatient clinic, clinic. What was that word? Clintic? I don't know what that is. <laughs> At 346-980-3530. We're going to have to do a urinalysis on the year after this show. No, so let's jump right and into- And a quick shout out okay, to Nikki Boo. Melly Mel. Melly Mel. Candice. Candice. Candy Pants. Candy Pants. Yeah, yeah. she loves that nickname. <laughs> uh, that's our crew over at Matthew's Hope. Uh, no, but we're talking about being married to an alcoholic, and we've spent time trying to navigate, are they an alcoholic? What to type help of you alcoholic? identify. Yeah, to help you identify. But in the end, by the way, only the alcoholic can, can identify if yeah. they are an alcoholic, period. period. No doctor can it even diagnose it. It is a self-diagnosed illness, but you have to know the facts about the illness to then diagnose yourself. But let's move past that. So the second thing is, if the spouse is a drunk or a drug addict, do they even want to be sober, bro? Yeah. If, what if, do you do if they don't? <laughs> You have healthy boundaries. I mean, so we you have... can't make them be sober. We have an acquaintance who doesn't stay sober. We have lots of acquaintances who don't stay this sober. This acquaintance, doesn't. but this person has been on this roller coaster for a long time. Mm-hmm. What do you do in a situation like that when you have a husband or a wife who is an alcoholic or drug addict 
and just continuously cleans up, gets drunk or high again, cleans up, gets drunk or high again, cleans well, up. Like if, that's it's this, the, if that's the marriage if, if that's that you spouse, signed up for, right? then cool, accept it. That's your life. Like, stay. And, is and there anything they can do? No, 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 no. The only thing they can do is figure out what healthy boundaries they will allow in their yeah. life for their own protection and their own sanity. And what could those boundaries include? Kick them out. Change the locks. There needs to be some consequences, take, you take think? Take the bank account away. Uh, demand that they, you know, work a program of recovery or go to sober living for six months. You do that successfully, work the 12 steps, sponsor the people, come back home then. You know, there needs to be some real... Otherwise, um, otherwise, you're just agreeing to be just as sick as the person you want to blame. And then right. you just get to be all the innocent victim. No, you're, you're allowing it. You're accepting it in your life. We have that saying that water seeks its own level. Yeah. And so if, if someone is in a relationship with someone that's that sick and that chronic of a relapsing, it's highly likely that person is equally as sick in some way. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they would not put up with it. They must not have the right sort of self-esteem and value in their eyes to know what God says they deserve. Otherwise, they wouldn't put up with it. Okay. All right. So this is this is a good overview. Yeah. So let's so, jump into do so, wanty soapy. So spouse identifies with other spouse that there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Right. Uncomfortable conversations. If and if problem spouse doesn't want to take care of it, boundaries. I'm going to set some boundaries. Here's some consequences, and and that's it. Yeah. You cannot. And we're make not telling you to go sober. divorce them. No, if no, you no, love no. them and you want to stay with them, listen. Sometimes love looks like discipline. Period. It's, yeah. it's it does. Yeah, love and, is discipline. And and okay, so now let's talk about our marriage. Do we have seven hours left? <laughs> so let's talk about when people do wanty soapy. Okay. Like me and you, we yeah. do we do wanty soapy. Most of the time. <laughs> I mean, I could I could use a drink right now. So one thing I want to say in a marriage, whether you're even an alcoholic or a not, I think communication is key. And for a long time in my previous two marriages, um, I did not know that I kind of sucked at communication. And once I started yeah. dating you, I realized how wonderful and skilled you were at talking about feelings and communicating desires. And Do you know that it was on the tip of my tongue to make fun of you for a second until you complimented me like that? Uh -huh. And then I had to swallow that. That pill, that's... But keep going, though. What else do you like about me? <laughs> that's basically it. Oh. <laughs> no, seriously. But I realized, because I was doing nightlies, written mm -hmm. nightlies back then... Which is a step 11. A step 11. Not 10, you idiots. <laughs> not not 11 teen either. <laughs> um, but no. And so I realized that you were so good at communicating, and it was so uncomfortable for me. Mm -hmm. And um, and we we've been in therapy at two different times in our relationship that mm -hmm. was really great for us. <laughs> and we're only coming up on four years of marriage this month, <laughs> but but I it, love it. It gave us tools because yeah, here's what I realized: uh, marriages usually have the same type of conflicts over and over, um, mostly like money or maybe priorities or not spending time together. All selfishness and, and unreliance, maybe by like the way. Maybe like romance or sex issues. Different, there's, there's some common areas. We ain't got that, girl. <laughs> there's some common areas. Where you and I have thought about money a lot. We have different priorities with we money. We were, oh my gosh. That was probably for a while, that was the theme in our marriage was fighting over, like, you made it a point to involve me and include me in the finances. <laughs> Which was my biggest mistake ever, was right. trying to talk and, to you and include you with what I was doing. Right, and we fought every single time. It was horrible. Turns out we have different styles of communication. Yeah. Most of the time, I am coming to you just to educate you. 
for you to absorb the information I want you to know. No, no, no. You're always coming for me to fix you. No, no, no. You think I want you to fix it. You think I want you to problem solve, and that is absolutely not what I'm inviting really? you into. Yes. When did that start? Always. Oh. <laughs> And so uh, that we realized that in therapy, yeah, and uh, we realized that we have to identify what kind of conversation we're having. And listen, we haven't been in therapy since early 2020, April. 2020. Uh, remember, April? our therapist quit. We made him retire. We were so bad. Right. So, uh, yeah, he was contemplating the worst, but then decided just, <laughs> just retirement retire. was enough. No, um, no. But, but we, we listen. We haven't done it since then. But even today, it's something that we we don't struggle with no. it, but it's something we still work on. There's yeah. times that you'll say something, and I'll begin telling you how you can run your entire corporation. You're like, I'm just trying to like communicate my day, bro, and yeah. I'm like, sorry. So like, we still work on it. Yeah, it's not like, but a, it's way better. It's way better. Way better. And I think that so communication is key. Uh, not just to be a good communicator, but to realize and have awareness of what style of communication you enter in when you're talking to your spouse. Because there are, I would say, let me ask you this. Most men try to fix things and most women don't want that. But I, w I would say, tell me if you agree that at least 60% of the time now, we sort of communicate, are you looking for feedback? Do you want an opinion? Are you just like downloading your day to me like we do that pretty well now it's getting yeah, better i think it's better when we preemptively say hey uh how was your day or, hey i'm gonna tell you about my day or, hey yeah. you know and hey uh, hey oh hey hey happy 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 hey <laughs> but listen the other thing to consider in a relationship especially if it's a sober alcoholic in a 12-step fellowship is how much time the alcoholic will need to spend dedicating their life to the spiritual disciplines of the program. And this is hard. This is hard for a spouse that's, number one, already been left at home alone. Already ignored for the years of drinking. And or, now they're going to be ignored right. for the years so you can sit in meetings because and sponsor people. Because even if the spouse was home, they weren't they weren't present. Right. And so now what we're saying is, hey, they're in a 12-step fellowship, but we're going to help them. And we're going to get them connected to God, and we're going to give you back a way better person, but we need a little more time. Yeah, because it takes time to build the relationship spiritually. It takes time to learn how to develop a, a new way of life that you'll carry for the rest of your life, hopefully. Um, because we don't want someone to come into a 12-step program and only do it for a couple years, and then five years later, seven years later, they drink again, and, and all trust is broken again when you thought they were doing well. Uh, it's something that must continue for a lifetime. And the beginning is rocky. In the beginning, it requires a lot of time where they are in much more meetings than normal. They're working with steps with their sponsor. Yeah. They're having to go to fellowships and late night coffees and, and different things. And if they come home and say 90-90, stab them with a kitchen knife. <laughs> yeah, no 90 That's not in our literature. Stop soliciting violence on the air, please. Oh. Um, geez. But basically, I learned it from you, Dad. <laughs> Basically, what I'm saying is a lot of times if the spouse is a normie, they'll get really resentful at how much time uh, their partner has to go do this 12-step thing. Because and, it is recommended that a lot of people go to a meeting a day. And or I'm saying they... you cannot just be arm candy on your spouse 24-7 and go to some of these meetings. Some of them are open, but some of them well, are not. What, what would you recommend the spouse start they doing with their, their time? They have their own fellowship. What? <laughs> what is that fellowship? What's it called? Al-Anon. Al-what? Al-Anon. Oh. Like non-alcoholic. And uh, listen, we know some black belts in Al-Anon, yeah. and they are—they work an amazing program. And they I have think, a really. And sometimes, like we know of a good friend who got in Al-Anon and got well years before his spouse did. Chris K. And Chris uh, has been on the show twice. Yeah, and or so three times. Don't negate the fact that if you're married to or in a relationship with someone who has issues like alcoholism, that 
probably means you do too. You have some right. bent up resentment. You have some fear. You have some insecurity. You have lack of healthy boundaries. You got all, you got blaming others and victim yeah. mentality. The fact that you're still there, you got your own baggage. You got your own baggage, bro. And so I highly recommend that while your your partner's going to their meeting, that you're going to the Al-Anon meeting next door, and you get a sponsor, and you work the steps, and then you get to grow in the same spiritual direction together. That would be so much fun. When are, when are we going to start doing that? Never. I didn't think so. I'm advanced. I'm like an AP 12 step. <laughs> You're the president. Yeah, I'm the president. Jeez. So uh, I think I think this is a good start, right? This is a good start to early sobriety for the spouse. What is the other spouse? And when we come back, I want to talk about compromise. And I want to talk a little bit about um, being married and both being in the program. And, and I think people would love to hear how we squash some of our many arguments. Okay, I think so. Yeah, I think it'll be good. So listen, don't go anywhere. I'm going to point out all of Heather's defects when we get back. All three. Be right back with Relevant (laughs) Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio. That was so uncomfortable for me. Heather and Donnie. (laughs) Yeah, so we knew what the intro was going to be, and Heather actually let me wait and play the music for a second. did a beautiful job. But only because Will wanted her to, (laughs) Will, our producer, rather than me. Will calls the shots. He's definitely better at this than I am. Um, So when we left, we were talking about uh, a couple, whether you're in a long-term relationship or married, one spouse needs to get sober, the other one doesn't, and what happens when that spouse gets sober? Like, because we see a lot of this. <laughs> I was going to point out that one of the things that I hate, but it's every single time, is I'll be sitting down with a guy who's getting sober. Let's say he's in a long-term relationship or married. Mm-hmm. And this guy is coming off of, like, if you are forced to go into a 12-step program, you are not coming off a winning streak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Within 30 days, this is what I'm hearing. Yeah, man, I just don't like the way my wife does this. Mm-hmm. And it's not cool that she acts like this. And here's what she's doing. Here's what, And I just want to slap them. Mm-hmm. Like, bro, you're sitting in front of me. Because you've been drinking and destroying your marriage for years. And now you want to talk anything about your... No. <laughs> no. No, no, no. You know what I mean? But that's kind of what happens. Yeah. Um, and it happens for both of them. But I think that that's where the resentment from the normal partner comes from is because they think okay this alcoholic just put me through hell for a long time and now they get to go be buddy buddies and lollygag and get support from these other alcoholics and the the, oftentimes the normal person doesn't realize the pride smashing pride leveling process that is the step work and the fellowship of the way we hold each other accountable and so we get to if we spend time with them the newly sober person we get to show them how selfish they've been. We get to show them how much damage they caused with their drinking, even when they're not drinking. Uh, it takes time for, for the person to swallow those chunks of truth about themselves, usually through the inventory process. And once they get to step nine, if they do, then they can really begin the direct amends, which is still a command to live the rest of it out, to not repeat the behavior you're making amends for. And this then, stuff takes time. But then you also got to look at the, the normie spouse and go, okay, so here's your set of issues. Like number one, um, where your spouse, the alcoholic or the drug addict, that is their problem. Yours is the alcoholic or the drug addict, right? 
The alcoholic or the drug addict is powerless over drugs and alcohol, but the spouse is powerless over the drug addict or the alcoholic. Oh, I just had something popped in my mind as you were. Well, let me rambling. let me finish that. Let me finish that. Okay. All right. And so the other, th- I just I just totally messed. <laughs> what me up. about the couple where one person is the chronic alcoholic that must work the twelve steps to have real freedom, but the other one was just a hard drinker that also is sober but doesn't have to work the twelve steps. What about them? I'm just saying. You interrupted me for that. There's got to be some understanding and some consideration about. It's okay to be two different types, but we've got to be understanding and compassionate about what the other type has to do to stay well. The other thing I was thinking about is that the Al-Anon or the prospect for (laughs) Al-Anon has been taking care of, managing, working on, trying to fix, codependent on the alcoholic or drug addict. Yeah. Well, now suddenly the alcoholic or the drug addict gets a sponsor, works the steps, starts to live right, their life starts to change, and the prospect... All the dynamics change at home. Correct. The prospect for Al-Anon starts to go, what's my role? What do I do? Where do I fit into this scenario at all? Right. So there's a lot of disruption in the home in the beginning. And so I think that when you... It's still a marriage or it's still a committed relationship, right? And so at the core of it, patience is key and communication is key, but also, you know, new habits, building new memories, doing things that you maybe didn't used to do or maybe used to do a long time ago and you haven't in a long time, like a date night or going bowling together or just a picnic at the park that costs no money, you know? Do you think it's okay for the spouse, the the non-alcoholic spouse to set some any boundaries in early sobriety for the other one? What do you mean by certain some boundaries? Like, give me an example. Well, like we sort of set some boundaries with each other. So you and I are very involved. We have commitments almost four or five nights a week. I've got sponsees on Saturdays. You've got stuff on Saturdays. And what we the boundary we set. Oh, our, our rule is no nothing on Sunday. Right. Yeah. Even though now you do do something on Sunday night. Well, I go hang out with, you know, my pastor and smoke a cigar. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's still not with me. It's fine. It's fine, Donnie. But it's, it's it's fine. It's holy. <laughs> it's holy smokes. But that's what I'm talking about. Like we've had multiple conversations. Well, around we spend we spend like Saturday evenings together, so we get in that a marriage. Time. I think compromise, being willing to compromise, is one of the most important qualities a partner can have. And, and in order to do that, you have to let self go. Yeah, and so sure, I could write fight, and I could say, Donnie, you've agreed that we'd spend Sunday together, and rah rah rah, and then I could make you stay home with me. But the truth of the matter is, you want me to leave <laughs> by six p.m. <laughs> truth of the matter is, I know how much you and I spiritually grow and have a solid foundation for our marriage. The more we do other things with and for other people, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I don't cling to you in a codependent way to suck all your time and energy and attention so that I feel okay. I don't need that. I have God for that. Well, and that's I was going to actually. I love that you went there because we both believe. I don't complete you, and you don't complete no. me. God completes me. God completes you, and we just seek God together. Correct. And we Because that whole idea other. of like you complon, you com- <laughs> I can't even complon. That's all the stuff he's I can't all even saying. It's so <laughs> no. stupid. Listen. You complete me is just the dumbest idea because that is codependency. Because if I'm constantly juicing you, 
for validation, attention, so esteem, all of that, you're going to fail me. And yes. And so that's a setup for failure. That person will fail you. And we got way off track, but I like where we're going. But so what I was trying to get to a moment ago with the communication and the comp, I think compromise is one of the biggest, there's a lot of times, sometimes deep inside, I want to write fight and show you're wrong or get my way or manipulate it or what keeps you from doing that? um, I have like this nudging thing inside my heart that just says, just let it go. Just, just bend. Just compromise. Same. Same. And and who so, do you think compromises more? <laughs> I think the ability to not com- that I'm keeping score, but I, I think it's keeping me. Keeping score is another wrong issue. So yeah. I think the ability to compromise shows spiritual maturity, and only yeah. a spiritual infant can never compromise. So recently, <laughs> I, I'm just going to be honest about where I am. Recently, oh no, I am a fifty. Am I fifty one now? You're fifty. One or two. I'm, I'm 41, so you're 51. So I'm a 51-year-old man in my third marriage. We're going to hit year number four this month on the 28th. <laughs> and for the first time in my life, I have been able to support my spouse. So with your, with your, you had a, a promotion this year, your job really expanded and you have a lot going on yeah. in your career. A lot. Yeah. You and your team are working y'all's butts off getting things it's done, awesome. right? It's awesome. Yeah. But it's okay. a lot. But it's been very stressful to you. Yeah. And for the first time in my life, and the roles have reversed between you and I, you have been stressed. You have been anxious, misbehaving, all of that. And I've been the one receiving the texts after I go somewhere like you're texting me going hey I'm really sorry about that and I'm just I get finally get to be the one like don't worry about it I know you're stressed I love you we're good like it's weird that at 51 for the first time in my life I get to be the one in the support role supporting you when you've done it so many times for me already and I think that well that's because I'm a really great person a and b and just totally humble (laughs) so humble but I think that the other thing is to know um, your partner's love language take the time and effort because here's the deal a lot of times I know yours it's service yeah acts of service yours is uh, PDA and words of affirmation yeah well I don't know about PDA just physical touch physical affection and uh, and words of affirmation, and um, I'm not that way. But a lot of times, you try to give the type that you're wanting to get, that you crave. Yeah. And so, a lot of times, it's miscommunication where you don't feel loved in a marriage. But that's because you're trying to give what you want to get, and you're right. not trying to give what your partner likes to receive. I wonder if we shouldn't do a part two on this show because we've really covered, like, we have covered, and we'll put some thought into it this time. But we have covered the non-alcoholic and alcoholic, and kind of what that and looks the like double alcoholics but i really do think we should continue this and go into other what, tools yeah, yeah. And, and what about the spouses that are both alcoholic yeah right i think it's important and maybe we will i'd like to think and pray on that and if you would like to listen to that let us know on facebook or instagram at relevant recovery radio yeah if this is helpful at all please drop us a note and don't forget those who stand for nothing will fall for anything Hashtag God, though. That's all the stuff we saw. Bye.